I work in something called revenue management for a company named Mondelez. Uh, they make products like Oreo cookies, Chips Ahoy, uh, Ritz crackers, and uh, I'm a revenue manager for them. And uh, not too dissimilar with real estate, like basically I help them uh, utilize their money and make more money with it and sell more cookies. Welcome to the REI Partners Meetup. We're your hosts, Matt Morrow and Richard Clark. This is a place where knowledge is shared, friends collaborate, as we help each other to succeed in both our real estate and personal goals. We are a group of like-minded individuals from across the country who are here to help and support each other. Investors, realtors, entrepreneurs, and many others contribute to providing diverse and practical content for our events, especially our mentors who enjoy helping new and experienced investors in their journeys. Thanks for joining. We hope you enjoy the show and encourage you to bring others who may find value as we invest in our collective future. Hey, thanks everybody for joining REI Partners, uh, January 2023. Um, monthly meetup and uh today we we have tom mui for our uh, guest speaker and um uh partners.net if you don't know our web address uh check it out and uh sign up for our meetups uh, once a month and uh, you know uh matt and i work together matt's covering the eastern coast of the united states i'm covering west of harrisburg um out here near pittsburgh I uh, operate a private equity company working one-on-one -on -one with investors to develop managed portfolios. As many of you are investors here on the call, um, feel free to, answer, to ask questions. Um, this is a meetup for all, and uh, we have people here just, just getting started, as well as people that are that has experience. So, so I'd like to thank everybody for joining us and um, looking forward to uh, to the discussion today. I do have a piece at the end that I want to go over with everybody, just kind of clue you in on uh, if any of you know what include report is, uh, I want to share with you what that is and how to manage that. It's very similar to a credit report, but it has to do with um, your personal identity and has to do with uh, insurance and underwriting. So I will uh, speak on that towards the end of the call. And uh, with that, I'll toss it over to you, Matt, and we get started. Awesome. Thanks, Rich. All right, let's start over with intros. Uh, we'll just go with Ryan Legat since you're on the top of my list here. You're on mute, buddy. Yeah, it helps if you can hear me. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> my name is Ryan. I'm a real estate investor from Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'm currently working on getting my real estate license so I can work on the investor side. Uh, just looking forward to talking with everybody, hearing their experiences. I really like hearing about people that, you know, have had great success with real estate from the ground up. You know, it really inspires me. So uh, thanks a lot for, for being here. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, Ryan, friend, are you on? I see you popping in there. Yes. Hi. Hi, hi guys. How you doing? My name is Ryan. I'm just getting home from work, so I'm trying to get, like, my animals situated. Uh, I am currently an aspiring investor. I would love to get into multifamily properties in the Allentown area. Um, the first part of my master plan was to prove to myself that I could actually budget and I did it. So I'm really starting to try to figure out like what I'd like to do as far as building my own brand, um, coming up with my own company. 
I just actually also started uh, some real estate license classes and they've been awesome. I really enjoy like hearing everybody's story, like Ryan said, just to kind of see how they got started. It's amazing how many people from all walks of life have been successful in real estate. So I'm just here to learn and see what I can do. Ryan's our video editor and he'll be the one that puts together the stuff for the website and YouTube and all that. So thanks buddy for doing that. You're, you're a lifesaver. My pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure, man. All right. Ken. Hi, I, uh, I've been retired for about a year now and I recently purchased with my wife and Matt a five unit. And so I'm very new to this, but I'm here to learn. Thanks for joining. You wouldn't Ryan. have to be related to Matthew, would you? He may or may not I'm be his, my dad. I'm, I'm his dad. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> awesome. He's Brian. a good kid. Thanks. Appreciate oh, Matt's it. awesome. Brian Walter, yeah? Uh, my name is Brian Walter. I'm a wholesaler in Allentown. Um, so always just <clears throat> trying to network and learn about different types of real estate investments. Thanks for having me. And Dat? Yeah, hi, everyone. My name's Dat, um, aspiring investor in Allentown. I uh, connected with Matt via Bigger Pockets, and we just can kind of sift in through what's there in terms of multifamily. I'm happy to learn from everyone. Thank you. Awesome. I think that's everybody on. And I always forget to introduce myself, but everybody here knows me because I'm usually the one that puts together. But um, my name's Matt, multifamily mixed use investor in the Allentown area started a few years ago as a um, kind of a, a second career because I got terrified I didn't want to you know lose everything if I couldn't fly airplanes anymore and it's the absolute best decision I ever made it's life-changing connected with all you guys and the uh, the outreach and the support of real estate is you know hands down and you're going to hear a cool story tonight from Tom and several of the guys on the call, they've, they've made their living in real estate and real estate actually saved Ryan's whole life here from going upside down because he uh, he had a two unit and it cost him nothing to live right now, even though he is unemployed as we speak. He is, Very true, yes. He is kicking ass all because of a good decision. So I'm super passionate about real estate and I love everything about it. You guys all know that though, but without further ado, Tom, thank you so much for spending your evening with us and most of your last weekends with John and myself out here looking for property. But um, if you can you know, give your little intro, share your screen, whatever you got to do, and we all look forward to it. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Matt. And thanks for having me. I am uh, honored that to be invited to this talk, guys. Um, I'm like you guys, you know, uh, I don't consider myself an expert, but like, uh, one thing I have dabbled in quite a bit in is actually short-term rentals and, and midterm, what I like to call midterm rentals. And I like to kind of just share what some of my success and failures are for the last uh, five, six years. And, um, and like most, some of you guys, I connected with Matt through Bigger Pockets. So it's kind of cool to see that Bigger Pockets sort of like forming its own, you know, subset group, right? In like specific uh, metro areas. Um, and this seems like a very interesting spot, Allentown. A uh, little, little about myself. Um, I actually, my full-time gig, I work in something called revenue management for a company named Mondelez. Uh, they make products like Oreo cookies, Chips Ahoy, uh, Ritz crackers. And uh, I'm a revenue manager for them. And uh, not too dissimilar with real estate, like basically I help them uh, utilize their money and 
make more money with it and sell more cookies. That's really what that is. And I somehow take that honestly, and it's very applicable to real estate. I take that and I look at real estate, not just as a, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a tool to, to get to financial freedom, but uh, real estate is very interesting because there's so many creative ways to, to utilize it and extract like what I call real estate arbitrage, uh, which is try to find opportunities that no and find areas that no one's looking at to, to basically get above market rent. And I'll share with you some examples that I have done in the past, uh, particularly when I was living in Chicago. And then I have a little, I guess, presentation for you guys here. Uh, this was an old deck I put together many years ago. Uh, so I apologize if some of it seems a little outdated, but I think some of it is very relevant to what we're talking about today. And also, uh, I, I will be sharing some actual numbers from, from when I was running the opportunity. Um, some may surprise you and some may shock you. So either way, I just want to share the full truth of it. Uh, but before we go on to that, like, I'm just curious, like, how many of you have uh, heard of Airbnb, um, used Airbnb, or are currently running Airbnb? I'm just really curious. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I I'll do it. Camera. All right, great. Then in that case, you know, that gave me an idea exactly how to how to like introduce this, right? Because um, um, it looks like there's going to be a varying amount of experiences here. But let me explain what Airbnb is for those who don't know. Um, how do I share the screen here? This is different from Teams, actually. It'll be a, a circle or a square share screen button in the middle of the bottom. Okay, there it is. There you go. Can you guys see my screen? Yep. And then once you do presentation mode, it should go um, perfect. There you go. Okay. Is that full screen? Yep, you are. Okay, cool. All right. So Airbnb basically is a, as it started out back in 2008, it was a, basically a platform for, um, for what we call hosts. So people who have access to a room or a house of some sort. And to offer it online for, for guests, essentially, and making, you know, um, turning the hotel industry on its head, really, and, you know, making it more free to the people. Um, and so as it's sort of evolved in more recent years, uh, Airbnb has introduced three other platforms, Airbnb Experience, Airbnb Adventure, Airbnb for Work. And these are things you guys should think about if you guys are interested in getting into Airbnb, Airbnb because these are different ways you can differentiate yourself uh, from everyone else. And give you an example of like what an Airbnb experience is. Sometimes when you book like a room, it might come with a chef and they might offer a cooking class in addition to like you staying there, wherever you may be. So that's just like an example of how people are, you know, taking a very simple basic idea and pushing the envelope to extract, you know, you know more than just like a bed to sleep on, like something more, like more of experience, more of a, um, a life a lifestyle, if you will. <clears throat> I always tell people this, like before they want to jump into Airbnb, like um, they should really consider these five things before they do it. Because I'll tell you what, um, I have, I, I, I love that I did it for five years. I was a super host for five years. And I will tell you right now, like I have a two-year-old at home I will not be doing Airbnb for the near future because it is very time consuming and it is very um, hands-on. However, I will say if I was single 
and I had all the time in the world, I would totally be doing Airbnb today. So those of you who have the time to do it, I would consider that. But even if, say, for example, like, you know, you have a busy schedule, but you still want to extract like, you know, above market rent, um, there are other strategies you can use to, to, to do that without having high turnover. Um, but let me talk about uh, the location real quick, because this is something that kind of screwed me over, like looking back, everything is 2020 in hindsight, but looking back, right? You know, this is going to be cliche and you hear it all the time, but this is so true. Location is everything, guys. Like, especially, and I can only speak to my experience in Chicago, but it is so important to be near a subway line. If you're ever playing in a metro area, uh, especially in somewhere like Chicago, um, the difference between what you can make, like just a couple of blocks away from metro line to being next to a metro line is thousands of dollars. So I highly recommend, you know, making sure that you're either near a transportation or something of particular interest, like an airport uh, or like a resort or something like that, depending on where you guys play. Um, the next thing that's really important too is the strategy. Now, I, I had this flip before. Before it was do the research, then create a strategy. I actually flipped this because I truly believe like you really need to think about what your strategy and your game plan is going like what your goal is to get out of Airbnb. If it is straight up just, I just want to maximize my cash on cash return, um, then short term is the way to go here, you know? Uh, but, you know, that's not the only way you can make money using Airbnb because like looking back on this, um, later on as I developed into it, I've actually converted some of my Airbnbs into midterm property rentals renting to people like traveling nurses month a month, month at a time, you don't collect the same type of rent that you would, but you also greatly reduce your operating expense by doing so. And in my head, it also reduces the number, the, the headache that comes with the turnover. And I think that was a much more uh, interesting pro proposition for me going forward. So uh, for me now, I would say I would focus on midterm because I am the kind of uh, I am now, you know, you know, trying to build a family and, and doing that. And, 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 but I still have the hustle in me to, to do on something that needs m mediocre turnover, turnover. But if you're somebody that says, Hey, I just want to maximize my return. Short term is definitely the way to go. Hey, Tom, I got a question for you. Sure. Hey, uh, on location. Um, I, I was talking to an investor about uh, doing an Airbnb, he mentioned it to me that he it was something he was considering. And uh, a property I sent to him um, was in a development, which had, um, of course, bylaws and, you know, an association. And I was wondering if you have any particular advice or thoughts about, um, in terms of location, where to get, uh, you know, whether or not to get a property that's in a development and understanding those bylaws or not, or, or do you prefer to do something, uh, you know, single family that's detached or, or what? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Like initially when I, my very first Airbnb was a studio in downtown Chicago. And despite them at that time, like Airbnb was still up and rising and wasn't in any bylaws or, or in any HOAs. Right. And so it was sort of like a gray area that I was operating in. And I'll tell you this, like ultimately um, Airbnb was 
even though it was legalized in Chicago, a lot of high rises banned Airbnb. And as a result, I had to sell two of my units at, uh, as a result of it. I would say like, you know, you would first, if the HOA allows like short-term rentals, like really do your due diligence, trying to find out what those terms are for running an Airbnb. Cause I, I have found that some townhomes allow it um, given that you like live in it for like one year or, or you have to like live in it for a certain amount of days throughout the year. But, but you know, it, it's, it's also based on relationship. Right. But generally I would say personally, like um, towards, I would say the third year of my operation, I, I purchased a duplex and it was much more simpler, not having to deal with an HOA um, because you basically, you know, no one can tell you what to do except for the city, which I will get into later on because cities is also another thing you need to consider with Airbnb because like here on the East Coast, uh, New York City is notorious for shutting down Airbnbs, whereas right across the river in New Jersey, like Jersey City, very open to Airbnb. So you just want to be careful and read up into your, and really do your research into like your municipality rules in addition to like, you know, the HOA and bylaws. Yeah, thanks. So, great question, yeah. Um, the third thing I wish I had known before I, I, I jumped into my first Airbnb was that this is, there is this company called AirDNA and you can buy, um, if there is a particular area, say you want to do Airbnb in Allentown, right? You can go into AirDNA um, and there are two types of reports you can get. There is a, a zip code package where you put in the zip code that you're interested in Airbnb and it'll give you like an average of like what a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom does in terms of occupancy rate, you know, the price uh, and generally seasonality because that is so important, especially us being in the Northeast. Like you're going to see that, you know, especially when I was in Chicago, like you know, high tide is starting from March all the way September. And then from September to like February, it starts, you know, the occupancy rate is gonna drop. And so you wanna keep that in mind when you're doing this because it has a big implication on how much you make. Um, and AirDNA is pretty accurate. I highly recommend that you do the monthly data package, which is, it's expensive. It's $500 a month, but you can, like the difference between that and like the zip code package is the zip code package is like 100, 150 bucks, um, but it only gives you a report and a report of just the zip code. But you know, like within Allentown, right? Like, like block by block, like the, the attractiveness of, of an area can drink, can change drastically. Um, if you go with the monthly, like, like it's a very real time sort of like, like, real-time reporting tool, um, you can drill down to the exact street, like, and figure out, you know, hey, on this particular address, like, what is something, something similar to what I'm trying to do, like, performing, and you can quickly figure out real quick, like, hey, on average, it's going to generate, like, you know, $40,000, $60,000 revenue, and it can also give you expectations in terms of what your operating expenses are uh, and, and taxes, so, I highly recommend using that. And something that uh, sometimes blows over people's um, thought is just using Airbnb. Like, hey, just go on Airbnb, plug in a time, um, you know, uh, the, the room, the rates, 
and uh, and see what people in your area are charging. Like that's also a really good barometer of like how much money they're making, right? Uh, and then the fourth thing, I did not consider this at all when I started, but amenities is huge to people who use uh, use Airbnb. They want blow dryers, they want like cooking ware, uh, ironing boards. Um, generally speaking, the more amenities that you advertise on your listing, the more attractive it is. And so I highly recommend, and it's, and it's super cheap to get guys. Like you can just go onto Facebook marketplace, look for someone who's like doing a sellout, right? Or whose property's get, getting condemned and just run in there and just like buy something for a dollar, you know? Like <laughs> you'll be surprised. And then, uh, and the last thing is um, really consider your team. You're going to need a team. If you're doing one, you can totally do it on your own. Um, like Ryan, I know you, you said that you're living in a, in, in a duplex right now. Like you could totally turn your other, you know, room, if you will, into an Airbnb, you know, and you could probably run it on, on your own, right? But then let's say you start acquiring two, three, four. Um, you're going to need, one, a cleaning lady for sure, a cleaning person, cleaning man, lady, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I have, you might need a property manager and you're definitely going to need a handyman. If you're not handy yourself, like myself, like I had a dedicated handyman that was ready to go like 24 seven. Um, and that really helped because you are going to get calls in the middle of the night. I guarantee you this. If you do this, you're going to get calls at 2 a.m. in the morning, gets locked out. 3 a.m. in the morning, heat doesn't work. 4 in the morning, like, I don't know, like toilets clogged. You're going to get these calls. And so having like a handyman nearby is super helpful. I happen to got lucky where you might consider this too. Like, you know, when I signed up with a cleaning lady, I found one that was really good. And basically I locked her in at a discounted rate. And I said, hey, you know, at that time I had four locations. And I said, if you would do all four, she would give me a discount. And not only that, but she would also be my property manager. So it was kind of a win-win situation for me because like she was a person that could get to those people uh, for lockouts and stuff like that. And in addition, like she wouldn't charge me like 150 bucks. She'd be like, hey, how about 100 bucks? But you get all four properties, right? So it kind of worked out that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, any questions on this part before we get into the numbers? Um, I have one really quick, Tom. Yeah. Location and strategy in a big city like Chicago, you have a lot of people going into and out of the city and the strategy yep. can be a few different things in a more rural area. Let's say, not to say like Allentown city or Bethlehem like that is a Airbnb destination, but if you have guys, this area, the, the Poconos are very common or, you know, yeah. homes like that, you know, remote living. When you're picking locations other than the municipal laws, is there anything else that you would look for? Like, I didn't realize the kind of stuff that people actually search for Airbnb to sleep at. Like, it blows my mind that people rent these places. But is there any type of niche that you found other than the city high-rise living that guys on the call could think about what's like a, a different type of location that people don't usually think about. Yeah. I have two buddies in Chicago. That's still Airbnb. And here are some interesting things that I've learned through them. Actually, I've never tested myself. So I'm only speaking from what they've told me, but uh, one, 
uh, is that uh, my friend had a Airbnb in this um, in, near Gary, Indiana. Not a fun town, you know, to be in. Not necessarily a destination place. But the interesting thing was his Airbnb happened to be near a hospital, and so he attracted a ton of traveling nurses. It, it's to the point where actually he's worked a deal with the hospital. And he is just a dedicated hospital, like temp housing for them, which is very interesting because traveling nurses are, by, by the way, are the best tenants. They are never there. They pay their, and because the hospital comps their, their, um, their living, like they will, they will pay any amount really like for, you know, a fur furnish with a furnished place with uh, flexible lease terms, right? Like that's what they're looking for. And so like, I highly recommend like, you know, in Allentown, I know there's a lot of hospitals there. Um, you know, Allentown, not to knock on Allentown. It doesn't, you know, I, I didn't hear, I never heard about it growing up around New Jersey. So I don't know how hot it is as a travel destination, but I see a ton of hospitals there. That could be an option for an Airbnb, you know? It's huge. Lots of healthcare here. Yeah. And it's healthcare. growing rapidly. Rapidly. That's great. That's great. I'll, I'll be honest with you. If I can just do Airbnbs for traveling nurses, that, that would be my strategy. That honestly, if I tell you God honest truth, like that's my ideal strategy. Just just work towards the healthcare industry. There are a few guys that John and I are working with that have that exact motive um, as investors. They're they're not on the call, uh, but they're full time. You know, one guy's a emergency room physician, and he just sinks wow. his money into these things, and they. They just want to put it to work and he has it managed. But that midterm rental to traveling nurses is a massive business in this area. Yeah. So I'm going to consider. There's, <laughs> yeah. There's a website called furnishfinder.com and uh, they work particularly with uh, traveling nurses and, cons and traveling consultants. So, like, um, you guys can, uh, we posted our listing on there before and had some good success, like finding a traveling nurses that way. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, but I'm sure if you, if you just Google traveling nurses, housing, I'm sure there's a ton of websites for it. Awesome. Thanks, um, yep. And per your request, Matt, you asked me for some pictures, but so this is some of the actual pictures from our Airbnb from back in the day, like on the left hand side, those left two, uh, those were my studio in downtown Chicago. That was my rock star. Um, like, and it, when I say rock star, I mean like, I know I told you guys before, like the high rises didn't allow Airbnb. So here's a funny story. I got fined three times from this, um, from this high rise. And like the, the cash flow on this thing was so great. I was kind of like, I'm just going to keep paying off this fine until like, <laughs> like until I got a cease and desist letter. <laughs> then I was like, okay, I, got, I can't, you know what I mean? Like, but, but if you, if, if you can find, I mean, it's going to be impossible to find like, like a high rise in, you know, in any major city that will support Airbnb. Unfortunately, if you do find one, good for you. Um, but I, that would be the most ideal way to go. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you can find a multi or something that you can totally control in downtown, that would be the most ideal, right? And then on the right-hand side, um, I had a duplex. And so the first floor was a two-bed, one-bath. And then the top floor was a three bed, one bath. And I'm gonna share with you some of the results from my time running those. 
Um, the left-hand side is an average of the two studios that I had in downtown Chicago. And you're gonna see that that had the best return. Like the studio, forget the one, bat, one bed, one bath, because one bed, one bath from a purchasing standpoint, right? Was about 100, 150K more than a studio. But yet they will generate you. This is why like AirDNA was so important to this, right? So vital to this. It basically told me that it didn't matter if it was a studio or one bedroom, like they were going to get the same rate, but like the studio was going to cost a hundred K less to acquire. So for me, like my cash on cash return, like every year was 50% plus, which is oh. like, which was, yeah, it was like freaking, freaking insane. Like, uh, especially since the fact that like the studio that I had was near where Lollapalooza was being held. And so like that studio was like, like during like uh, music fest and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, like I was charging, I'll, I'll be honest with you, 250 was conservative. I charged as high as like $500 a night um, for during La Palooza weekend. But, and for like uh, during the marathon a weekend too, like it, you can get some pretty insane rates like during that weekend. Um, but I wanna show you a more conservative estimate because like that was 99 to 250 is more realistic. So what I'm getting like, like 99 uh, from Monday to like Friday, uh, sorry, Monday to Thursday, Friday to Sunday, you're looking at closer to 200 to 250 a night. And then something big that you guys should consider uh, when doing this, and every city is different, is the Airbnb tax. Um, this got implemented like my fourth year of doing this. Um, and the city of Chicago being the greedy bastards that they are, we're like, hey, so many people are making money on this. We, we got to find a way to, to, to get to claw some of that back. And so, you know, back in like 2018, they instilled a Airbnb tax. So 10% of my top of my growth went straight to their pockets. And Airbnb would, will withhold that. So just something to consider. That's just Chicago specific. Like, you know. Um, I doubt it's that high for any other municipalities, but just check like, you know, it's going to be different for every city and, and state and Airbnb charges a 3% uh, service fee for every booking. Um, and that's on, on the top. So keep that in mind as well. And they do charge your guests a 14% service fee. So even though like you may not hit that, just keep that in mind, like when you're pricing your, your rooms, uh, Airbnb is actually going to put another markup on top of that, which will ineffectually affect like, you know, your, your demand to some degree. Um, my worst performing one, and this is because of location guys. So like, I can't say the two bed, one bath is not a good play, but it was my worst play because it was, uh, and this is part of the duplex that I purchased like on West side of Chicago. And it was a 10 block from the nearest train station. And I always look back and shout myself in front of go, I really wish like I had just purchased something like much closer um, because like the, the, the difference in return could have been night and day. Um, so you can see the occupancy rate on a two bed, one bath was much lower than my three bed. But it, I did learn a lot of good things though. I learned that when you're going multi, more rooms are good. So my three bed, one bath was in much higher demand. I had much higher occupancy rate than my two bed. Um, and I attracted a lot more families that way. And so it was interesting to figure that out and you get a higher rate out of it too. So, and because of like the, um, the dynamics of 
of, of a multi, essentially, you know, spend the same between the two bed and three bed, but it's a lower percent of sales, you know, in the long run. So I would say like, if, you, if you're going the multi route, you know, um, the more rooms, the better, but if you're like downtown, dude, the studio is, was definitely like the way to go. No need to get like a one bed. Um, and and the, the cab rates might surprise you guys because like I remember jumping into this thing, Airbnb was advertising like cab rates are like 20, 30%. Um, but the truth is guys, like it really depends on a lot of things, like how well you run your team, right? It really depends on like, are your tenants just leaving the AC blasting like, you know, 24 seven, which they do. Like, and then eventually I had to stall a nest and all that stuff to control that. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can, you can do to re reduce your, you know, operating expenses, but it was the biggest chunk. I would just estimate that like, Hey, of your revenue, 50% of that is going to go towards, is going to end up going towards, uh, uh, um, yeah, run, running the place. So, uh, but the interesting thing I thought from, from run, doing this whole thing too, was just like, there was really no downtime in Chicago, even though it's freaking cold, like really January, February were the two months that I feared the most every year. But once I, I don't know why, but once March 1st hit, man, like then the bookings start coming like crazy, you know? And then, so I would just keep that in mind, like January, February, um, I tend to look for longer term tenants and you can, there's options in Airbnb where you can set settings where you say, Hey, you know, for these months, I only want bookings of one week or more. And that's how we went about doing that to just ride out the winter and then prepare ourselves essentially for like spring, summer and fall. And so, and that's, yeah, that's it. So I just left my email up there in case you guys want to reach out, have any additional questions after the call, but um, we can just leave it up to, to Q and A. And thank you guys for your time. Like I'm happy to share my experiences. You know, I'm really, I, I love like, like talking to people and, and just learning about other people's experiences too. And I'm just happy to share what I got um, for, for what I have and hopefully I can continue doing this again. So. Um, that was awesome. Thank you. Um, we're, what were the purchase price and the operation dates of these properties you shared? Yep. So for the studio, that purchase price was 165. I put 5% down. <laughs> I put 5% down. And I think I spent about a grand furnishing the place, right? So I took that into consideration for my for my when determining the cash and cash return. And then so um was that a house and I rent and I operated that between 2015 to about 2000 and uh, 2018. So did only you live there? I on paper I did. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you used a, a low down payment loan to buy it. Yep, I use and a and it um, a life change event and we're able to offset your expenses really quickly. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How about the other two? And then, so after this studio, I bought another studio in downtown. And so the first studio was actually on North side of Chicago. When I say North side, I mean, it's still downtown, but it's like North of the river, but it was right across the street from a club. And I was kind of like, perfect. 
like the club and bars are like right there. So it's right next to a train station. So it was perfect. I did exact, I did I bought another place just to diversify on the south. When I say south side, I mean south of the river, not the south side you hear on, on the news, but like, um, like that was, and that was, that was like right, right by where like, um, like, like the, um, they call it South Loop. And it's right by the area where they hold Lollapalooza, like that stadium area. And so that was, that was great. The two bed and the three bed, the duplex I got was west of Chicago. Uh, the two bed, one bath, I got that in 2017 and operated that till almost to the end of 2019 um, before I sold it. And the first floor was a two bed, one bath. Second floor was a three bed, one bath. And so, um, and the numbers I'm showing you here, like basically like I had one expense for the total building, but I just split it evenly. And the purchase price for that was 560. And I put 10% down and uh, I put about, I would say, I would say about 40 to 50K in renovations and furnishing. So all in, I was about 100K in. Um, but I mean, it was still delivering like return, but it was lower than my, what I was expecting because I was like, you know, I was flying high with the studio and then I was kind of like, awesome, let's see what, you know, but again, going back to location, the location wasn't super ideal, um, but I was still, even, even if it wasn't super ideal, it was still, I was still able to get it to work. Um, so, you know. That's awesome. So these were all five, six years ago and to current when was your last one that you sold you don't have any of these right now do you nope so just full disclosure i sold them all um the studios i sold back in like 2018 and then at the multiplex the duplex i sold back in the end of 2019 and so i'm starting fresh and just so you know i moved i'm originally from new jersey so i had to i was doing long distance my girlfriend i'm going too much detail but like long story short it was it was I moved back in 2018, New Jersey, and I was actually still operating the Airbnb from New Jersey, and that was really tough. So I do not recommend you doing Airbnb out of state, but it was because I had a team that I felt like I could possibly like get it through. But after a year of doing that, I was like, and then after, you know, um, you know, we were expecting a, a, a little boy. Uh, I said, okay, like. I couldn't take it anymore. So I eventually sold it. And now I'm working with Matt to just find me a good, healthy multiplex in Allentown, if he can find one. And I would like to just go um, conventional. But although I, I like talking about one more thing that I'm, I'm particularly looking at, especially in New Jersey, right? It's like co-living. It's something I have heard about. Um, it's nothing like new, honestly. It's just really just buying a single family, furnishing it and renting out each room individually. And people have, you know, had success getting above market rent by doing it that way versus like renting it to a whole family. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm particularly like, you know, there, there are other ways to arbitrage the market. And I have heard stories of people getting a lot of success doing that. If you guys listen to Bigger Pockets on podcasts, like um, you might've heard like, um, I forgot which episode it was, but there was one like karate instructor. He has like six of these like co-living like like situation down in like North Carolina. And he was just like, you know, 
uh, it was it was crazy. He has like six bedrooms, all rented out to different people, different different walks of life, and they just somehow coexist under one roof. It sounds crazy, but you know, like it it, it works. So um, yeah, so th th that, there's an opportunity there I want to share too. I, I haven't tried it myself, but like if if something presents itself, like I might try that as well. So the traditional 20% down buy a house rent it it's amazing how that's not the standard anymore there's so many different variables and if you could be the one to find that yeah and trailblazers are the ones that either sink or make the profit um <laughs> you you can have Absolutely. a pretty interesting scenario yeah, that's awesome dude yeah what kind of questions yep. you guys got for tom this is a ton of awesome and very different information than we're used to this is a really really cool anybody Or right, cool. I, I maybe I just hit it out of the park. Like, yeah, this is, I, <laughs> all the questions are asked. Well, with the with the presentations, um, the the decks are very very nice, and having the graphics it certainly helps. And especially with this group, we get guys with tons of experience, and guys are just trying to get into it. Um, having an option like this is super important. What um, what's some advice you would give to somebody who's just starting off? Um, in general, it doesn't have to be short-term rental, mid-term. Um, you're brand new to this and you know the yeah. market, um, regardless of where you're looking, um, yeah. the economy is a huge concern. What, what's some advice you have for guys? Yeah, that, um, I, I, uh, I, I challenge you guys to figure out what, you know, going back to this thing here, the strategy, um, really figuring out what, like, what good means to you guys. Meaning like, you know, for, for me, like, for example, right, like I, I realized over the years that for me, what good means to me is I would just for each property I own, if I can just net $1,000 out of each unit a month, it might be trouble nowadays with interest rates and all that. But like that was, you know, that's really what good means to me. And then once you know that, like you just basically, you know, for, then then it becomes clear, like how to. You know structure your investments or like how to how to how to deal with investments going going forward because like i look at real, real estate more like a dividend than like an asset you know because i i just look at it as like hey with this can it help me pay off my car can it help pay for my diapers right like can it like you know and i just look at it as, as, as in, in that light um and i think that you know uh for me it's, it's more about just cash cash return uh, but for other players, you know, like um, they're more about the, the 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 rate. You know, they care more about the um, the depreciation or, or what have you, and that's that's fine too. It's all about just figuring out, like, hey, really figure out what it is you want to accomplish first before like jumping into this. Because like this Airbnb, I do recommend to people, and I still do because it worked for me. Um, however, I, I I do say like you know, there's air of warning, right? Like like it takes one really bad apple to kind of ruin your day because and that's kind of what happened to me so i guess i'll share that other story uh, that i share with you matt it's like i think you guys need to see the like the bad side of things was like I, this was this was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back right like i had a uh, a couple kids but they they came off as adults obviously on their profile right and they made a fake profile and that's just going to happen um, and, uh, they found a loophole where they booked my place without having to actually pay for it. Cause the thing is Airbnb doesn't release your money until they actually check, 
check in. But the weird thing is they give them the check-in instruction before they release the payment. So what they did was all you have to do is just basically, once they get the check-in instruction, they just call the credit card company, cancel, tell them it's lost or stolen or whatever like that. And they're unable to send the funds over, but they have access to the unit. And basically I got a call from the cops at like, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning one day and um, they trashed the place, you know, like um, they broke the dining table. There was beer all over all the beds, smelled like weed. There was definitely other weird stuff going on there. And, uh, and the cops told me when they got there, there were like 20 underage kids there, right? Um, and they just all scattered. And what that, not only did you lose the money for that weekend, that's not the bad part. The bad part is uh, I had to cancel a whole month's worth of booking because I had to fix everything that they broke, you know? And so, and it took Airbnb six months for the insurance, um, for the insurance policy to finally pay me back for the damages. And so um, that, and then on top of that, obviously like, you know, I had a one-year-old kid, actually he was a one-month-old kid and he was crying and I'm not getting any sleep. So there's, that's personal part of it. I was also compounding my decision for doing that. And so just so you guys know, like, you know, but I will say this, like less than 5% are bad. I would say 95% of my tenants were, were awesome. Uh, most are very, and I, and I do, I try to do a good job of screening, you know, um, for them, but like, you're not going to be perfect. One bad apple will get through. And, um, and I, and you guys should just be prepared for that. You know, like, and there are ways you can be prepared for that. You can have cameras, you can have smoke detectors. Like there are ways to prepare for those things. Um, and I didn't have those, um, you know, I didn't have those precautions. So I just want to put that out there as well. You know, when you're deciding if, if, and if this, this is the right thing for you. Um, so, yeah. What kind of protection do you have as the owner to sift, you know, we can do background checks on our tenants for long-term and leases, but you don't have a lease. You have an Airbnb contract, essentially. What kind of control do you have over who? It, it's, just re- it's just reviews from other hosts. Okay. So like, uh, but it's so easy to fake those, you know, like um, Airbnb has tried ways to basically try to, you know, create safeguards, if you will, to try to prevent those bad apples from happening. But, you know, anyone with a credit card can create a profile, right? And anyone with credit card can easily like rate other Airbnbers, right? And so, yeah, so yeah, like I, I, I would say, I, I generally try to, you know, you can, you can refuse um, tenants without reviews, which I've done in the past, right? And they, uh, and some of them have a link to their Facebook account. And sometimes you can actually check like, hey, is this a real person? Like, do they have history? What, what do they look like? You know, what is their background? But the thing is like, it, Airbnb is also a very difficult business model to scale. I'll also put that out there. Like if you're looking for one or two and you just want to rake in cash, like one or two would be like, I think that's very doable, right? I was getting too greedy when I was like, hey, I was trying to push for five and six, but then we're getting to a point where it was like, one, like, you know, I, I did have a backup cleaning lady. Um, and, uh, but what I was finding was like, because these locations are all over the map, right? It is hard to get them from point A to point B. If you have a triplex or a fourplex, honestly, that would 
if you have a fourplex like in like an ideal location that in my head would be like the ideal airbnb because like you can have the cleaning lane and only stay in one spot right and do the cleaning it's really when they're like scattered all about it makes it very difficult to scale because uh when you have multiple cleaning ladies each cleaning lady is going to be they have different quality you would have a quality control issues um, you're going to run through that because like uh, if they're running from one place and they have to get to another to finish before the next check-in, you know, she's going to be rushing and all that stuff. Um, there's going to be, you know, it, it's going to get more difficult to scale the more you bring on. And it's not saying you can't do it. You can definitely do it when you have it systematized and, and, and organized. Um, but it's, but this is why hotels are so much better ran, right? Because it's all housed in one building. Um, so I'll just, I'll just put that out there as well. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask a question really quick? Yeah. Uh, what was the typical, how long did the typical tenant stay in your Airbnb? And could you require that they have to uh, spend a certain amount of time uh, in order to reserve the Airbnb? Um, what I did was for the studios, I required them I didn't have a, a set time like they, they could stay. They could stay one night if they wanted to, mm -hmm. but they had to book more than uh, 48. You can set like how far in advance they can book. Cause like if they're trying to book like, you know, an hour before they're trying to check in, like I would, you can, the system, you can set it so it, it'll automatically refuse their, you know, application. Um, because those are the guys that are the ones who are your bad apples usually, right? They're just like, Hey, Let's just go to a place. We need a place to party, you know, but not at our place. That's, that's, those are the usual ones. Um, for my two bedroom, which I had lower occupancy, I'll be honest with you. Like I got a little desperate during the winter times. Right. And so that's kind of where I found myself in trouble because I was getting lax in terms of like who I was letting in um, because I was just trying to make, hit my numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you. It's like, I wish Looking back, I didn't take some because I was just trying to hit a number. I wish I was just more disciplined and said, like, you know what? This guy or this girl looks shady, you know, like, just refuse it. You know, I'll just take a loss this month. I'll just make it up next month. Because, like, the loss that you will incur from a bad apple is going to be greater than whatever income you're going to try. Which was, like, honestly, it was, like, 50, 60 bucks a night, right? So, it was, like, okay. Um, yeah, so that that's that's what I would say about that. Okay, so it was basically like depending upon what they were renting it for, they would rent it for various amounts of time. So there wasn't really like a typical time frame that yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and everybody's very good about like you can set a lot of different rules, mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. You can set it like you know you only take bookings for seven days or or less. I've actually done where I've like only allowed bookings for thirty days or more. You know, and that's how I ultimately decided to fill my winter months was I was looking for those longer term and you'd be surprised. Um, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be because I just decided to take a gamble. It's kind of like, hey, January, February is coming. I would purposely set those specific times as 30 day plus check ins starting in like, you know, three months earlier. So like starting in like, let's say November. So you can actually do this way in advance. Right. And set a rule that way it can get pretty intricate. So like, that's the cool thing about the application. They've gotten very, 
um, advanced with like like what what and how you want to set it to your liking. Thanks, Tom. That's very helpful. Yep. Anytime. Tom, I have another quick question if nobody else does. Tom, I have another quick question if nobody else does. Yep. Yeah, I, I do. Oh, Ken, go ahead. How did you yeah, deal with uh Ken, go ahead. How did you deal with when when you had the bad apples? How did you deal with the neighbors in the area? Uh, when all that was going on? Uh, luckily, did you have any issues with neighbors? Uh, luckily, the neighbors. I'm getting feedback on my end. I don't know if you guys hear it. But um, yeah, the, the neighbors, I didn't have any issues with. Again, if you if you own your, um, you know, your multi-unit, um, that's why, you know, I, I prefer it if you just own a multi or a single family home or what have you. Um, generally, the neighbors can complain, but if your municipality allows for Airbnb, I mean, they're hard pressed in trying to like, you know, shut you down because in Chicago, like, <clears throat> like in Chicago it's actually gotten pretty formalized. So in order to, in order to operate Airbnb, you have to register with the, uh, it was called like the business consumers. So it was, it was a basically department that, that they created where you have to get a license. So you had to get it applied for Airbnb license. It was like 125 bucks a year. Uh, and then once you're registered with the city uh, and you're in certain zones that the city says you can Airbnb, like the neighbors can't touch you basically. So they, they, there, there are safeguards to, to, to make sure that your, your business can stay in operation. So you just have to look into Allentown. Like I'm sure Allentown has a, um, you know, any, any major city, I would think, like, they would probably have some sort of say in, in what you can or cannot do with Airbnb. One of the things that we All saw right, in this you. area, Tom, no was the, um, those communities, especially up in the Poconos, um, usually surrounding lakes or other attractions, and there's a huge push, at least in this part of Pennsylvania, for um, Airbnbs to be gone by local property owners other people in the communities and they're putting in requirements and people are getting voted to the councils of these communities that are essentially ending airbnb businesses for certain groups and we know several people who bought properties in certain communities with the intent on airbnb in the future and now they can't and there's a lot of things being sold off with the intent of Airbnb that never actually happened. So it's kind of a landscape change for people with that business model. So if anybody on the call or anybody listening in the future looks to get into this, it is a very awesome opportunity, but you really need to be in tune with the local government because one day your cash flowing asset could be zero and you might have yeah. to sell it. So unless you're gonna get on the board and you know convince everyone that's still a good idea, you know, just something to keep in the back of your mind. No, that's that's a great point, Matt. Yeah, like that. That's 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 one of the points I should have put up here. Can you Airbnb at first? Mm -hmm. Like, like look into the laws. Yeah, that's that's really true. Can you go back to the page, the three properties with the return data? Yep. Um, I want to ask one more question. If nobody else has anything, I want Richard to talk about his uh, insurance stuff shortly. But the 
cap rate and cash on cash. When we're talking about investing in real estate, one of the first questions I have with people is, why are you looking at real estate versus other asset classes? And when we get into the benefits of real estate, obviously there's numerous compared to other asset classes, but cash flow appreciation and depreciation combined are mostly the reason people get in. When you have a cash on cash return of north of 15%, that's pretty damn good regardless of where you are. The same cash invested in any other asset, that would be your investment return. But to your point earlier, you mentioned this, and it kind of stuck in my head. Some people have investment goals that are cash on cash driven. They have investment goals mm-hmm. that are cap driven. They have investment goals that are cash flow driven. And that could be very, very different for every investor. And I'm going to pick on Ryan here in the call here. When we were looking for his duplex to house hack, we needed something that was going to have a cash flow at the end of the day of between negative 500 and zero. Because to Ryan, that was a positive thousand to positive 500. So if you look at these assets, they're not always what they appear to be on paper because John and I are working with some other clients right now who are in a similar position to you, Tom, where they're they're just looking to put the money somewhere to get a average return with some positive cash flow. They have no preference if it's $1 in the green or 300 in the green. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is it's not another asset class. It's not Bitcoin or the stock market. Yep. So every investor's preferences are going to be different. And it's important that you guys know getting into this, what your tolerances are and what your returns are. Um, I know we were talking to another investor last week that he he will not, he's a mortgage originator and he will not buy a piece of real estate unless it's cash on cash return is greater than 20%. And that's just his, his goal. And he'll wait until he finds something. But when he does, he buys it outright. And, you know, it's, Pretty impressive, but this this screen kind of stuck out at me. Um, these numbers are all great, but they might be different for other people. So in this area, you're lucky to see properties being listed at more than a six cap because the deals are greater the higher the cap rate go, right? And mm-hmm. it's an inverse formula for that. Your cash flow per door is depending on what you do, $100 to $200 a door. And your price per door is going to be between $110 and $130 in this area at this time. So whatever that looks like for people, those are all on-market deals. Um, Whatever your investment returns and goals are, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing, as long as it's what you like and what's better for your situation at all. That's all that matters. Exactly. Well said, Matt. This is a pretty cool demonstration of that here even though these numbers are five years old um, it is still possible and if you hustle and you find that studio department and you get it off market you do some door knocking and you can get a cash on cash of 54 percent. it happens but it's not going to happen if you call up a real estate agent and say hey what's in the mls let's go find the deal you know you you likely got this deal either grossly underpriced or in some type of special circumstance right or is it because yep. you only put Five percent down because you lived in it. Lived in no, it. No, it, it was it was. I found a studio for some reason. It was been sitting on the market because that's the thing. No one wants to buy studios in Chicago. Everyone wants the one bed. 
And so it was a great opportunity. Again, that I was telling you guys about arbitrage, right? It's like, hey, there's all these studios on the market sitting for 60 days plus, and they're, you know, they're taking it down. But um, that that's, it was just perfect. Like that aligned with what I was trying to do. And it just kind of, uh, yeah, it, it was it was like rocket fuel, man. <laughs> it was, it was it, I wish it wasn't so exciting in the beginning, I'll be honest with you. Cause like you get into that rush really quick, you know, when you start seeing the numbers come in, you're just kind of like, holy shit, let's keep going, right? And then the uh, the two the multiplex was sort of the the break for me, right? It was just like, hey, this it's not all going to be good, right? Like there's going to be ebbs and flows, um, especially when I got the cease and desist letter from <laughs> from the high rise. Then that was like, ah, oh, the party's over, guys. <laughs> you, you know, like that's that's it. Um, but man, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's it's you just keep looking, right? You just keep open-minded. You just keep learning. Like I, I again, I keep telling people, I, I don't. I'm happy to share what I know, but I feel like I just know so. I don't. I still. I feel like there's so much more to learn out there. That's that's the thing about real estate. I every time listening to like a podcast on Bigger Pockets, I'm like, holy crap, this guy's doing this. This guy's trying this it really is so different, right? From like city to city. And so like, um, I couldn't tell you these are the numbers you're gonna get if you play in Allentown. But like, I will say that overall, um, what I recommend Airbnb is somebody who was, who was thinking about getting into real estate, I would. If you have, again, if you have the time and the patience um, to, 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 to deal with it and you have a little bit of thick skin to deal with some, again, some bad apples, I still think the upside is totally worth the headache. Like I'll just say that up front, right? Like I'll be honest, if I wasn't starting a family or trying to build a bigger family, I would still be doing Airbnb right now. Um, but because you know my priorities have changed, right? Like my strategies changed, right? I can't be expecting 50% cash on cash. Like I'm going to try to hopefully, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping for like just net at the end of the day, like 500 bucks, a thousand bucks. We'll find it, Matt. I know we're going to find it, but that would, to me would be like, I, I'm happy. Like, you know, start looking at 90 plus day on market. There's deals out there. Yeah. The pretty turnkey stuff is not where you get these kind of returns. Everybody else is looking for them. Yeah. But yeah. that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anybody else have questions for Tom before we kind of Turn this over to Richard to talk about its clue report. Okay, I'll stop sharing. Awesome. But hey, thanks for uh, yeah, lending me the floor. And yeah, that uh, was great, Tom. Fantastic. Thank really you. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say that if you don't have a um, a uh, pension for if you're having trouble managing your current rentals, then this is probably not where you want to want to go. Um, if you don't like management, you don't like having to interface with all the aspects of management, but it's good practice too, though. You know, you get to learn how to manage a property in a very dynamic uh, sense. And I think that that's an important skill to learn, something that we all need to know because we tend to think about the profit that we're gonna make on the deal, but we don't think about the capital expenditures or the operational expenditures that have to take place. and and that's usually what eats an investor up is you know, the, the, the CapEx or the, and the OpEx is a numbers or two numbers that, that are usually under, 
um, estimated by most in, most investors, especially new investors, I would say. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? 100%, 100%. The ones, and we learned the hard way, a few of the slam dunks that we had in the beginning, got the big head, couldn't get out the door. Oh, this is the best thing in the world. Nope, the big, uh, the roof comes, the, the big issues come. And you're absolutely right, Richard. This, the deferred maintenance when you're buying properties, whether it be on market or unlisted, you know, you have to yeah. plan for stuff. But yeah. over plan and underperform, you'll have no, well, you might still have issues, but right. your money in the savings account and not have any problems either. So we're all in this to, to make a little bit. So that's a good point. Right. Hey, well, I won't keep everybody on uh, much longer here. I, look, I just got a, a short blurb here. I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, what a clue report is. And um, here, I'll just share this real quick. Um, you can kind of see, can you guys see this page? Yeah. It's up okay. down, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so let me describe a little bit what this is and give you some, some a reference to compare. Um, everyone's familiar with the credit report and, you know, and how that's used to, to uh, with a score to, to determine your ability to repay a debt, okay, or service a debt with a bank or whoever's lending you money. Um, the all the the credit report falls under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, there's also another report which you see here is called a clue a clue report. This is my clue auto report. This is just a header page. I won't show much of it, but you can see here that it stands for uh, it's an acronym standing for the Comprehensive Loss Underwriting uh, Exchange, and basically it's a loss history. You get in a car accident, you have a claim on your house, it ends up in this report. And this is the report that insurance companies draw from in order to determine your insurability, okay? Um, it does require maintenance as much as, maybe not as much as your credit report, but you definitely wanna look at your clue report because while it suggests that the report is only, you know, seven years worth of information, they have stuff in here, I'm 58, they have stuff in here from when I would live in California at, uh, 22. Okay, so they a had lot of information. Huh? They had computers back then? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I was making a joke. I said they had oh, computers back oh, then. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, it was garbled. So we didn't okay. get it. Yeah. <laughs> Lost so, opportunity, um, Matt. Your clue report comes from LexisNexis. Um, you can see here, and uh, the way you have to get it is just you go to LexisNexis's website and you request it, they will then subsequently send you a uh, letter that contains something like this. It'll contain a consumer number, a case number, and then what they'll do is they'll tell you, they'll give you a link to accessing your report. And then from that link, it'll have a pen that you'll fill in and then it'll give you your report, okay? That's basically how it works. And when you file a dispute with a entry on your clue report, like I had to do, let me tell you why I, I came into this knowledge, okay? And this is why it was important to me. Uh, we shop our insurances uh, periodically and we um, were looking at getting some newer um, or some better homeowners insurance. Uh, go to a few sites, fill out the forms, they give you a quote. 
I got a quote that was like twice what my what I'm currently paying. I was like, what the what what is this? I, you know, clearly a mistake, right? Um, eventually, though, I got on the phone with one of the uh, prospective insurers, and they told me that um, that you know I had a claim on a property in Colorado uh, last year in September, and I was like, uh, no, I don't because I don't own any property in Colorado and never have actually. And according to this report, I did, and there was a homeowner's claim on it, and that's why my rates were so high. So I had to get this report and then dispute it in order to uh, in order to get the uh, information removed. And it's, it runs just like a, a, a you know a credit entry on your credit report, where it takes thirty days. They investigate all that. And it gets corrected or it comes off or what have you. Okay. This is basically what the report contains your identification records, uh, any names that you've used, aliases, things like that. Address characteristics record is your uh, addresses that you've lived at. Like I say, they have addresses for me that go way, way back to, you know, when I lived in California. Uh, phone records, any phone numbers you've had, business association records. Um, they got my pilots you know, license record in there. Um, any professional licenses that you have now? I thought that it would show my real estate license in this and it did not. So for whatever reason, it didn't show that I was a real estate agent. Um, and then online marketing records, anything that you've signed up to get, um, uh, any lists and things that you're on is, is on here. Uh, property deed records. And this is for any properties that you've bought and sold. Uh, my report, you can see, is 138 pages. So you can imagine if you're an investor, your report's going to be uh, about the same or more. And then, of course, insurance policies, automobile, department, and uh, driver, all your tickets that you've ever gotten uh, are going to be on here. And then anyone that uh, inquired as, as to you know your report. So... So this is something that I think that everybody needs to understand and you know know that it's out there. Um, I don't think it requires the level of maintenance that a credit report does, but it does require some maintenance. So uh, you're entitled to under the FCRA to get this report at least once a year for free. Um, and it was pretty straightforward. Now, I don't like the fact that they send you via snail mail this, this letter that then you have to go in and click a link. So basically this is what the steps are. You, you go on, you, you go on the website, LexisNexis.com and you fill out a form. They send you via snail mail, this letter that you get, which you then have to type in this link to get your report. So that's the process. And then after you put that in and then you get all this information here and then, you know, then if you want to dispute something, you have to send an email to, um, to them of what you want to dispute. It is better to give them a call. I sent an email um, per their instructions and um, didn't get any response to it or anything back from it. I double checked to make sure the address was right and all that, everything was, was okay. But um, I ended up having to call and actually talk to someone um, and in fact, the funny thing is, is I talked to three people who were all named Ray. So that was a little unusual for me, but, uh, 
that's it, guys. That's all I, I pretty much had for you. I wanted to uh, let you know that that exists. Uh, make sure you take a look at it and uh, at your own report if you own property or if you had any claims. This will definitely affect your insurability if you're, uh, if, if uh, erroneous information showed up. So, all right. That's really easy. I just literally did it. As you were talking, Richard, it took one minute. Yeah. And it's just like your freecreditreport.com that you get one free credit report every year. Um, if you're going to be doing anything real estate and looking at insuredability, when you called me the other day and told me about that, it was, uh, this must be the back end that the insurance companies use to talk to you or to survey you because your information is out there. Every time you, you know, swipe a card or open an account, especially with insurance, this is a big deal, you know, and, and insurance is not getting cheaper. So thanks for that, Richard. That's awesome. Yeah, sure. And Rich, that's not just for like property insurance, right? That's like including auto. Right. All that stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's auto. Um, there, there's basically two reports in it. One is your consumer. Um, it's, it's, called, it's called, I think, a consumer um, disclosure report, a CDR, which contains all of your information of where you live, phone numbers you've used, and that sort of information. Um, and then there's the, the clue report, which is more on along the lines of insurances, like your auto insurance, homeowners insurance. If you have umbrella policies like I do, you know, you're going to see all of that there. And um, in my case, there was a, an, an, another person, actually, it was a, a person with a similar name to my wife, because when you're married, her stuff is going to show up on your report and your stuff is going to show up on her report. And in our case, we had a situation where someone with a similar name to my wife um, had a property in Colorado and they had a claim and Safeco Insurance reported it to LexisNexis and it ended up on my, my uh, clue report. So I have to go and I have to deal with that. And, you know, it's a pain, it's annoying more than anything, but but it's something that you just have to keep keep an eye on. I just sent the uh, the link to order that in the chat. So you have it there. You should just be able to click it. I'll bring you to the hyperlink. Um, Tom, I forgot to ask, you put up on your, your slideshow. Are you okay if we share your contact information with people? If they have any questions, they can read out, reach out to you. Yeah, that's totally fine. Awesome. I'll uh, put it up. Uh... Is this my screen showing? It is. Well, it was. What the heck? Sorry, I'm so I'm more used to Teams, not so much with Zoom. What the? No, oh, there it is. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can find me on uh, Gmail. Either way. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. Anybody else? Hey, have, no, thank, thank you guys for having me. Anybody else have any questions or follow-up questions to the stuff we had today? Is it possible? Everyone's, everyone's hungry. 10 minutes. Heck yeah. Everybody's hungry, yes. I love it. This 90 thanks minutes. Thanks everybody for joining. Up. Yeah, guys, thanks for joining. We'll have it up on YouTube uh, next week. Um, Ryan's been doing a good job, so I uh, appreciate everybody's time. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate it. Have a good night.